Welcome back to Seriously Funny. I'm your host, Mashinor Kabir, and I have no problems. This week, we talk, we continue on our sleepy charade. And if you don't or didn't see the title, we're talking about what happens when you sleep, what's going on in there, not on the neurological level, but in general. The stages of sleep and what's going on in your body while you sleep. Uh, we won't be talking about what happens in your brain while you sleep, as I just said. That's next week's problem. We'll also discuss some of the disorders of sleep, symptoms, causes, treatments, as we did when we went over mental disorders a few weeks ago. And because we're talking about medically diagnosable illnesses, I must give the disclaimer that I am not a doctor and nothing said here is meant to be taken as medical advice or used in diagnosing yourself or others. If you have a medical concern or believe you have a problem discussed in this episode, consult your doctor or a licensed physician. Now, we can get into it. There are four slash five stages in sleep. Uh, we'll explain why it's quote slash five end quote uh, in a second. Of these four stages, there are two main types, rapid eye movement sleep, REM sleep, named because your eyes move rapidly in this stage of sleep. Uh, the second type is non-rapid eye movement sleep, NREM, named because you can figure that one out. I believe in you. Uh, NREM is then further subdivided into four stages, very creatively named NREM 1, NREM 2, NREM 3, and NREM 4. The reason we said quote slash five end quote stages of sleep is because NREM 3 and 4 both account for more or less the same purpose in sleep, and they're usually just grouped into one when talking about the stages of sleep. So going forward, I'll probably just say there's four stages of sleep, but yeah. REM sleep is known as dream sleep. Although dreams can be experienced in every stage of sleep, they are most vivid and prevalent during REM sleep. REM is your lightest stage of sleep, meaning it's easiest to wake you from it. NREM is known as deep sleep. The later the stage of NREM, the deeper your sleep. Deeper being defined as the brain waves being a lower frequency and it being harder to wake you. But that's for next episode. Uh, in NREM 1, you may experience hypnagogic hallucinations, which is that sensation of falling that might jolt you up that we've probably all experienced. Why it happens, I, I don't remember. I don't remember looking into that. That was like at the beginning of this sleep research, and I watched it in a Khan Academy video. Uh, in NREM 2, you have sleep spindles. Uh, don't worry about these yet. And well, again, that's a next week issue. And NREM 3 and 4 is known as slow wave sleep. If you go to sleep at your correct circadian time for the full time required, you'll cycle through these four stages of sleep about four to five times. One cycle takes about 90 to 110 minutes and goes as follows. You start at NREM 1, you go deeper into NREM 2, deeper into NREM 3, and bottom out at NREM 4, go back up to NREM 3 and up to NREM 2, then go to REM after REM, you might wake up for a small bit of time. Uh, you probably won't remember it, though. And the cycle restarts at NREM 1. The order may change throughout the night, and the length of each stage depends on multiple factors such as caffeine, other substances, age, time of day, even your mental state, and life circumstances may change the duration of the stages. 
your body will do more of what it thinks it needs more of. Generally, however, the amount of time you've been asleep will change the length and order of the stages. At the beginning of the night, you spend more time in NREM sleep, and as the night goes on, you spend an increasing amount of time in REM sleep, which what this means is if you lose one to two hours of sleep at night, although you may think it's only one to two hours, and we heard last week that two hours changes your genes, you may have lost an hour of your total sleep time, but you lost 30 to 40% of your REM sleep which has repercussions. That takes us into the purpose of each stage, starting with REM sleep. During REM sleep, there's an increase in motor and sensory areas, heart rate, blood pressure, sympathetic nerve activity. Sometimes it's higher than it is when you're awake. Uh, Increased blood flow to the brain, increased respiration and airway resistance. There's also a loss of muscle tone during REM sleep, meaning that your body becomes paralyzed. This is likely to keep you from acting out your dreams and might be the reason for sleep paralysis. It's also why sleepwalking may happen if your body doesn't lose that muscle tone. Uh, For sleep paralysis uh, is when you gain consciousness during REM sleep, your body is paralyzed, your brain is still having hallucinatory effects similar to dreaming, which is not fun, but that's likely the cause of sleep paralysis. No, it's not a demon. REM sleep also seems to play a large part in emotional regulation. There are significant increases in the activity of emotion-related regions of the brain. In one paper, it said, quote, both subcortically in the amygdala, striatum, and hippocampus, and cortically in the insula and medial prefrontal cortex, end quote. From the role of sleep in emotional brain function by Andrea Goldstein and Matthew Walker. That's the paper that the quote's from. As always, the source document is in the description. We learned about the amygdala and the medial prefrontal cortex last week. In that same paper, they said that REM sleep, quote, promotes the offline processing and consolidation of emotional memories. Moreover, there's evidence showing that those who obtain REM sleep, have better emotional brain regulation. Finally, REM sleep is involved in memory consolidation, specifically in connecting memories from over the past day to other memories throughout your, you know, memory bank. I don't know what to call it. It's like a horrible Google search taking you to page 30. Although, as we'll discuss in a second, NREM is involved in committing memories to, mem- to you know, memory. Uh, REM is involved in connecting it to other facets of your life. This is probably the reason that sleep brings eureka moments. Dmitry Mendeleev put the periodic table together, waking up sporadically from sleep. Very famous songs have been done after sleep. Uh, This is why the saying goes, quote, sleep on it, end quote. Sleep will help you find simple solutions that your stressed self can't figure out on your own. Matthew Walker said that NREM is like, Learning. NREM is the process of learning. It puts all of the information into your memory. And REM is the process of wisdom. It makes all of that knowledge get connected to everything in your brain. And it, you know, is practical and and usable. And you can connect it to other stuff, uh, which is proficiency three and two, as we talked about many weeks ago. 
Uh, now we go to NREM. Physiologically, during NREM sleep, brain activity, heart rate, blood pressure, sympathetic nerve activity, blood flow to the brain, respiration, and body temperature all decrease while airway resistance increases. During NREM 1, nothing spectacular occurs. It serves to transition you if you don't have narcolepsy and aren't a newborn. This stage normally won't last very long and it serves to get you into deeper stages of NREM. During NREM 2, you'll need a greater stimulus to wake you compared to NREM 1. NREM 2 is involved in memory consolidation because of sleep spindles and hippocampal place cell activity. Sleep spindles are large spikes of neural activity, a bunch of neurons firing at the same time. Again, we'll discuss this more next episode. NREM 3 and NREM 4 are slow wave sleep. These stages of sleep are the deepest, the slowest brain waves, and the greatest stimulus necessary to wake you up. During slow wave sleep, we see the greatest tissue growth and tissue repair, as well as hormone release, such as prolactin, which is involved in immune function and inflammation. Sleep spindles occur here too. The coolest thing that happens during this stage of sleep, in my opinion, is the activity of glial cells, which are involved in the glymphatic system. Here's the thing about being awake. It's low-level brain damage. Being awake, simply fun- functioning for 15 to 17 hours a day builds up a lot of waste in your brain, a lot of bad stuff. During slow-wave sleep, this glymphatic system clears out all of those toxins. Cerebrospinal fluid goes into the brain and flushes out metabolic waste products from the brain. Last week, I told you about the causal relationship between sleep loss and Alzheimer's, and this is why. There are two main chemicals involved in Alzheimer's disease. Tau, which is a protein that sits inside of your nerve cells and it supports the communication and funneling of structures through your nerve cells, keeping them in good health. We like tau. Uh, During Alzheimer's disease, this protein begins to fall apart, creating tau tangles, which is like a tunnel collapsing your neurons basically are just you know falling into each other falling apart or into themselves the other is a sticky toxic protein known as beta amyloid beta amyloid is known to build up during alzheimer's but doesn't build up equally everywhere in the brain some parts of the brain won't be touched by amyloid such as the visual and motor cortex which is likely why people with alzheimer's don't lose optical or motor function where amyloid builds up the most in alzheimer's is the medial prefrontal cortex. Furthermore, the epicenter of the slow waves in the brain is the medial prefrontal cortex, which helps explain why you have lower memory function when you don't sleep. But during deep sleep, the cells in your brain decrease in size by 60% opening up the intercellular space in your brain. Uh, And that allows the cerebrospinal fluid to travel through the brain, cleaning out a bunch of waste products, including beta amyloid. Putting this all together, we can say that not sleeping not only increases the amount of beta amyloid in the brain, but it also makes it so that beta amyloid doesn't get cleared out of the brain. This makes the severity of Alzheimer's a self-fulfilling cycle, meaning it's an exceptional curve or exponential curve that fits with Alzheimer's, which is exponentially, which is an exponentially worsening disease. This is how Alzheimer's and beta amyloid are causally related. They might even be bidirectional. That might have been confusing, but to put simply, during deep sleep, you have memory consolidation as well as a dishwashing system that goes through the brain and clears things out. 
and a lot of other stuff like the muscle tissue repair, which is important for exercise. Uh, so now we're going to go into sleep disorders. Uh, the first sleep disorder that we'll discuss is insomnia. About 30% of the population have insomnia symptoms, with 10% likely being eligible for diagnosis. Insomnia is a common problem found in those with psychiatric disorders. It's a problem that may become present when someone attempts to, quote, fix, and quote, their sleeping schedule. The effects of insomnia follow with the effects of sleep loss. We talked about last week, the symptoms of insomnia are dissatisfaction with sleep duration or quality, uh, difficulties initiating or maintaining sleep, oftentimes even when fatigued, and impairments in daytime functioning. The cause of insomnia is mostly anxiety and stress. Even the idea of not getting enough sleep and getting anxious because you can't sleep will make it harder to sleep. So although it may be hypocritical of me to say, don't think about not sleeping when you're trying to sleep, the body of research on the etiology or causes of insomnia points towards insomnia being highly correlated to the physiological and psychological markers for anxiety and stress. We see in those with insomnia a high frequency EEG, electroencephalogram activation, atypical hormone secretion, increased body and brain metabolic activation, elevated heart rate, and elevated sympathetic nervous system activation during sleep. There's hyperactive hormone secretion, elevated heart rate, and bursts of sympathetic nervous system activity in anxiety as well. Although the circadian rhythm decreases cortisol before sleep, which is the primary stress hormone close to bedtime, uh, in insomniacs, cortisol increases before sleep and even during sleep, increasing nighttime awakenings and sleep fragmentation. Insomnia can be furthered by rumination, negative thoughts, or other anxiety-producing activities or thoughts that will activate arousal systems, increasing the risk of insomnia. And when we say arousal systems, mostly the sympathetic nervous system. If you're thinking of anything else, when we say arousal systems, you're a dirty, dirty boy. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, the solutions to insomnia could be a decrease in caffeine intake, which reduces anxiety. Treating anxiety or other life stressors in life may help with insomnia. Tackling insomnia directly, though, you could do cognitive behavioral therapy, which has shown, shown promise in helping insomnia disorder. Meditation, of course, has been shown to decrease anxiety, as well as better regulation in arousal systems that cause insomnia. We mentioned this last episode, but the brain is a highly associative system. System. If you are in bed and can't sleep, get out of bed, do something in another room for a bit, something relaxing, preferably not involving a screen, and then try going back to bed when you're calmer. Sleep apnea is another disorder involving airflow blockage during sleep. High hypopnea is the partial blockage, while sleep apnea, full diagnostic name, obstructive sleep apnea, is characterized by the following symptoms. Excessive daytime sleepiness, loud snoring, observed episodes of stopped breathing during sleep, sudden waking and gasping or choking, waking up with a dry mouth or sore throat, morning headaches, cognitive decreases during the day, mood changes in daily life, higher blood pressure, nighttime sweating, 
lower libido. A lot of these symptoms are congruent with the symptoms of sleep deficiency described last week. Since sleep apnea destroys sleep, although those that go through sleep apnea may not recall, they often wake up during their sleep disrupting it, meaning that the effects of sleep deficiency will appear since your sleep efficiency decreases greatly, and oftentimes you might not even be getting your full sleep. About 80% of people with sleep apnea are undiagnosed. If you think you have this, talk to your doctor. There are machines that can solve the problem, so we do have fixes for this. Just go talk to your doctor if you or someone you know might have this issue. Uh, The last sleep disorder we have here is narcolepsy. Narcolepsy is a sleep disorder involving chronic and high levels of sleepiness. There are two types of narcolepsy, creatively named narcolepsy type 1 and narcolepsy type 2. Narcolepsy type 1 is characterized by the following, excessive daytime sleepiness, sleep paralysis, hallucinations, fragmented sleep, and insomnia, automatic behaviors such as brief sleep episodes that can happen during talking to someone, eating, talking, even driving, Um, cataplexy as well, which is the sudden loss of muscle tone while a person is awake, leading to weakness and a loss of voluntary muscle control, often triggered by sudden and strong emotions. Basically, if you have cataplexy, your body becomes like a crash doll and you just go limp like an armadillo playing dead. Your muscles all just kind of fall apart, stop working, and say F you. Narcolepsy type 2 has the same symptoms as type 1, just without the cataplexy. So no becoming a ragdoll. It's also usually less severe. The other symptoms are less severe than type 1. Overall, narcolepsy isn't fun. It seems to be a neurological issue caused by neurological trauma, meaning damage to the brain, or because of genetics. There's evidence that narcolepsy is caused by selective loss of neurons producing erections, which are involved in sleep, but will be discussed again next week. So much to be discussed next week. And we've said all of this before 20 minutes, which is extremely, extremely impressive to me. I was really thinking we'd be low on time, but man, we're making pretty solid time. Um, yeah, but even though we're making solid time, uh, reading for 20 minutes is murdering me. So we're going to take a little break. I'm going to drink some water. Uh, have fun listening to the ad. I'll see you in a minute. The last thing we'll talk about today is substances that affect sleep. Other than your overall diet, one of the sleeping aids people take often is alcohol. I'm not sure how much of you listening drink alcohol, but older people may drink alcohol at the end of the day to help them get to sleep. Alcohol is in a class of drugs called, quote, psychoactive sedatives, end quote. Uh, What we've learned about sleep is that sedation is not sleep. Sedation is forcefully shutting your brain down. And as we've learned, as we learned earlier, the brain is by no means shut down while you're asleep. There's a remarkable amount of activity during sleep. Alcohol depresses the body. It slows things down. Consuming alcohol before bed will do the following things to your sleep. Increase sleep fragmentation leading to daytime sleepiness and lower sleep efficiency. Greatly reduce REM sleep and increased REM onset time, making it meaning it takes longer to get to REM, reduce neural activity during sleep, 
reducing activities like sleep spindles. This decreases memory function. Acute activation of fight or flight systems during the night, waking one up from sleep. Increased sleep fragmentation, meaning more awakenings during the night. Some of these effects occur even after alcohol is eliminated from the body, when the body tries to rebound after the alcohol is removed. So although alcohol may make you pass out, it does not help you sleep. And actually, this is the same case for sleeping pills, which are usually benzodiazepines, which are, like alcohol, depressive and psychoactive sedative drugs. Although these drugs will again take you out, it is not putting you into healthy sleep. A more popular sleeping aid is melatonin. Melatonin is a natural hormone that occurs in the body and promotes sleep within the body, released by the pineal gland. Melatonin can also be taken extracellularly in the form of a pill, although in America melatonin isn't regulated and the labels are usually wrong, there's evidence that taking melatonin may help correct circadian misalignment in the circumstances of jet lag, which for those that don't know is a phenomena that occurs if you travel outside of your time zone and your body isn't used to the daylight cycle of your travel destination. For example, if you go from California to the UK, your body will still be on California time and you'll feel sleepy at the beginning of the day. Uh, that's jet lag. Now, for the people that take melatonin just to help them sleep, maybe they have insomnia or what have you, there's actually no evidence that taking melatonin pills helps you sleep. But for people that have or do take melatonin, uh, some, some, a lot of them report that it does help them sleep and they think that it, it does help them sleep. Uh, and the most reliable medicine in, well, medicine is the placebo effect. So if it helps you, the melatonin shouldn't be harming you. Uh, if the placebo works, good for you. But scientifically, it doesn't actually do anything from what we've seen so far so if you take melatonin you're kind of just placeboing yourself into sleep so you know sorry if i ruined it for you but hopefully it still works a lot of people even if you tell them a placebo is a placebo it continues working for them so sometime maybe you'll be maybe you'll be okay finally everyone's favorite drug the most used drug in the world the psychoactive stimulant caffeine, the only drug we readily give to children. Although there is evidence of caffeine helping focus, improving long-term and short-term memory, caffeine doesn't react well with sleep. Caffeine works because it's an, it's an adenosine antagonist. Along with melatonin, adenosine is another neurotransmitter involved in making you feel sleepy. As you go through the day, adenosine builds up in the brain and is thought to be involved in process S of sleeping which, as we talked about last week, is the longer you're awake, the more sleepy you feel. Caffeine blocks adenosine, effectively preventing the feelings of fatigue. Caffeine has a half-life of about 5 to 6 hours and a quarter-life of about 12 hours, meaning if you drink a cup of coffee at 12 p.m., you have one-fourth of that cup in your system at 12 a.m. There was a study done on... Why do I sound like a robot? There was a study done on 12 healthy adult sleepers that looked at the effects of 400 milligrams of caffeine, which is the highest daily, highest daily dose recommended by the FDA, zero hours before bed, 
three hours before bed and six hours before bed. Relative to the placebo, the, tr- the three-hour caffeine intake increased persistent sleep latency by a mean of 70, 17.2%. The total sleep time for all caffeine conditions was reduced between 1.1 to 1.2 hours compared to the placebo. Sleep efficiency was reduced for each condition relative to the placebo. There was a reduction in stages 1 and stages 2 of sleep, NREM 1 and NREM 2, uh, ranging from 40.6 to 44.1 minutes, my bad, uh, and a reduction uh, that's the reduction in the, the NREM1 and NREM2. And there was also a reduction in slow-wave sleep for all three caffeine conditions. Overall, there was a su- significant sleep disruption for caffeine for all three intake times. Even for the people that think they can sleep fine after drinking caffeine, myself included, still lose 20% of their deep sleep, which is congruent to aging about 15 to 20 years. So caffeine reduces deep sleep and REM sleep, but the worst thing about the worst thing is that caffeine, which is used to reduce daytime fatigue and sleepiness, actually increases daytime sleepiness. Those that take more caffeine are more likely to have difficulty sleeping and more likely to feel tired in the morning. A reason for this is the lack of deep sleep, which is highly involved in the restoration and feeling refreshed after your you know, after you sleep. Lastly, caffeine dependence and caffeine is definitely addictive and develops at low doses after short periods of daily use. Caffeine withdrawal does create harmful and not fun symptoms for those experiencing. So then we ask the question, should you consume caffeine? In a perfect world, no. However, I like tea, I like Starbucks, and I really like boba or bubble tea. Caffeine can be taken tactically in the morning to avoid any sleep disturbances. Don't take caffeine about 14 hours before bed. This means that if you're going to drink coffee or tea, drink it about one to two hours after waking up. That's it for the second part of sleep. A very, very fun time. Today, we learned about the four stages of sleep, NREM1 involved in bringing you down, NREM2 involved in memory consolidation, NREM3 and 4, deep wave sleep, which does deep wave sleep or slow wave sleep, uh, which does a bunch of cool stuff, including cleaning your brain out of toxins, and REM sleep, where you dream, your emotions get sorted out, and your new memories are connected to your old memories. We learned about insomnia, which is caused mostly by anxiety, sleep apnea, which is where you stop breathing during the night and wake up, and cataplexy, where you randomly fall asleep during the day and have visual visual and audio hallucinations. That's also narcolepsy. Finally, we talked about substances. Alcohol fragments your sleep and sedates you, as do sleeping pills. Caffeine makes it harder to sleep, takes time away from different stages of sleep, and makes you more sleepy in your day-to-day life if it's still in your system when you sleep. Uh, thank you for listening to this one. Um, we made surprisingly good time. So at the end here, I will give you my anime news real quick, which is that I started watching the Fate series. Finally, I finished Fate Zero, which was pretty, really, really good. I just started watching Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works, which so far I'm only like two or three episodes in, uh, is also extremely, extremely awesome. Uh, Music-wise, it's been drier than the Sahari Desert. It's been really bad. I've been playing a lot of Clash of Clans as well, so that's been fun. But yeah, 
that's all. Thank you again for listening to this one. Please share it with everyone so that we can all learn a little bit more about sleep. Uh, I'll see you next week with the really, really complicated stuff. Peace.